Chapter Nine of Raspberry Jam by Caroline Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hamlet. Of the two detectives who arrived in response to the examiner's call, one almost literally fulfilled Eunice's prophecy of a rude, unkempt, common man. His name was Shane and he strode into the room with a pompous, self-important air, his burly frame looking especially awkward and unwieldy in the gentle surroundings. His companion, however, a young man named Driscoll, was of a finer type and showed at least an appreciation of the nature of the home which he had entered. We're up from the Homicide Bureau shane said to dr crowell quite ignoring the others present tell us all you know in the fewest possible words the medical examiner did this and shane paid close attention driscoll listened too but his glance instead of being fixed on the speaker darted from one to another of the people sitting round he noted carefully eunice's beautiful angry face as she sat looking out of a window disdaining any connection with the proceedings he watched miss ames nervously rolling her handkerchief into a ball and shaking it out again mason elliot calm grave and earnestly attentive ovid hendricks alert eager sharply critical and in the background ferdinand the well-trained butler hovering in the doorway all these things driscoll studied for his method was judging from the manners of individuals whereas chain gathered his conclusions from their definite statements and having listened to dr crowell's account shane turned to eunice and said bluntly you and your husband good friends eunice gasped then after one scathing glance she deliberately turned back to the window and neglected to answer that won't do ma'am said shane in his heavy voice which was coarse and uncultured but not intentionally rude i am here to ask questions and you people have got to answer him maybe i can put it different was you and mr embry on good terms certainly the word was forced from eunice's scornful lips and accompanied by an icy glance meant to freeze the detective but which utterly failed no rows or disagreements eh shane's smile was unbearable and eunice turned and faced him like an angry thing at bay i forbid you to speak to me she said and looked at chain as if he were some miserable crawling reptile mason will you answer this man for me no no lady chain seemed to humor her i must get your own word for it don't you want me to find out who killed your husband don't you want the truth known 
are you afraid to have it told hey shane's secret theory was that of a sort of third degree applied at the very beginning often scared people into a quick confession of the truth and saved time in the long run driscoll knew of this and did not approve let up shane he muttered this is no time for such talk you don't know anything yet go ahead you returned shane not unwillingly and driscoll did of course we must ask questions mrs embry he said and his politeness gained him a hearing from newness she looked at him with at least toleration as he began to question her when did you last see mr embry alive ma'am last night replied eunice about midnight when we retired he was in his usual health and spirits yes you have two bedrooms yes door between yes open or shut after you said good-night to mr embry closed locked no who shut it mr embry bang it sir did he bang it shut slam it mr embry was a gentleman yes i know did he slam that door N no he did and driscoll nodded his head as if not minding eunice's stammered denial but not believing it either now as he closed that door with a bang ma'am i gather that you two had a well say a little tiff a quarrel might as well own up ma'am it will come out and it's better you should tell me the truth i am not accustomed to telling anything else eunice declared holding herself together with a very evident effort mr embry and i had a slight difference of opinion but not enough to call a quarrel what about broke in shane who had been listening intently eunice did not speak until elliot advised her tell all eunice it is the best way we had a slight discussion eunice said but it was earlier in the evening we had spent the evening out mr embry at his club and i at the house of a friend we came home together mr embry called for me in our own car on reaching home we had no angry words and as it was late we retired at once that is all mr embry closed the door between our bedrooms and that is the last i ever saw of him until this morning she did not break down but she seemed to think she had told all and she ceased speaking and then he was dead shane mused what doctor did you call dr crowell took up the narrative and told of dr harper and dr marsden who were not now present he told further of the mysterious and undiscoverable cause of the death let me see him said shane 
rising suddenly. Most of this man's movements were sudden, and as he was in every respect awkward and uncouth, Eunice's dislike of him grew momentarily. "'Isn't he dreadful?' she cried, as the two detectives and the medical examiner disappeared into Ember's room. "'Yes,' agreed Hendricks. "'But, Eunice, you must not antagonize him. It can't do any good, and it may do harm.' "'Harm? How?' And Eunice turned her big, wandering eyes on Hendrick. "'Oh!' It isn't wise to cross a man like that. He's a common clod, but he represents authority. He represents the law, and we must respect that fact. However, his personal manner offends us. All right, Ovid, I understand. But there's no use in my seeing him again. Can't you and Mason settle up things and let Aunt Abby and me go to our rooms? No, Eunice. Hendrick's voice was grave. You must stay here, and too they will go through your room searching. My room, my bedroom, they shan't. I won't have it. Mason, must I submit to such horrible things? Now, Eunice, dear, Mason Elliot spoke very gently. We can't blink matters. We must face this squarely. The police think Sanford was murdered. They are endeavoring to find out who killed him, to do their duty in the matter they have to search everywhere. It's the law, you know, and we can't get away from it. So try to take it as quietly as you can. Oh, my! Oh, my! wailed Aunt Abby. That I should live to see this day a murder in my own family! No wonder poor Sanford's troubled spirit posed in its passing to bid me farewell. Eunice shrieked, Aunt Abby, if you start up that talk, I shall go stark staring mad. Hush, I won't have it. Let up on the spook stuff, Miss Ames, begged Hendricks. Our poor Eunice is just about at the end of her rope. So am I, cried Aunt Abby. I'm entitled to some consideration. Here's the whole house, turned upside down, with a murder, and police, and all that, and nobody considers me. It's all Eunice. Then, with a softened voice, she added, And Lord knows she's got enough to bear. Yes, I have. Eunice was composed again now. But I can't bear it. I'm not going to collapse. Don't be afraid for me. And I do consider you, Aunt Abby. It's dreadful for you. For both of us. Eunice crossed the room and sat by the elder lady, and they comforted one another. Shane came back to the living room. Here's the way it is, he said gruffly. Those three bedrooms all open into each other, but when their doors that open out into these... Here other rooms are locked. They are quite shut off by themselves, and nobody can get into them. Now, that last room, the one the old lady sleeps in, that don't have a door except into Mrs. Embry's room. What I'm getting at is, if Mr. and Mrs. Embry's room doors 
is locked, not meaning the door between, then those three people are locked in there every night and can't get out or in except through those two locked doors. Well, this morning, where's that butler man? Here, sir. And Ferdinand appeared promptly and with his usual correct demeanor. Yes, you? Now, this morning, those two doors to the sleeping rooms was locked, I understand. Yes, sir, they were. Usually, what happens? What, what happens, sir? Yes, what's your first duty in the morning? Does Mr. Embry call you or ring for you? Oh, that, sir. Why, generally, Mr. Embry unlocked his door about eight o'clock. And you went to help him dress? No, sir. Mr. Embry didn't require that. I valeted his clothes like and kept them in order but he dressed by himself i took him some tea and toast he had that before the regular breakfast and this morning when he didn't ring or make any sound what did you do i waited a little while and then i rapped at mrs embry's door yes and she now be careful man shane's voice was impressive how did she act? Unusual? Or frightened in any way? Not a bit, sir. Mrs. Embry was surprised. And when I said Mr. Embry didn't answer my knock, she let me go through her room to his. Exactly. And then you found your master dead. Yes, sir. Now, what is your name? Ferdinand. Yes. Now, Ferdinand. You know Mr. and Mrs. Embry had a quarrel last night. Yes, sir. The trap had worked. Shane had brought about the admission from the servant that Eunice had refused to make. A smile of satisfaction settled on his ugly features as he nodded his head and went on. At what time was this? Ferdinand, be quiet said Eunice, her own voice low and even, but her face was ablaze with wrath. You know nothing of such things. That's right, sir, I don't. Clearly, the butler, restored to his sense of the responsibilities of his position, felt he had made a misstep and regretted it. Be quiet, madam, Shane hurled at Eunice and turning to the frightened Ferdinand, said, You tell the truth, or you'll go to jail. At what time was this quarrel that you have admitted took place? Eunice stood superbly indifferent, looking like a tragedy queen. Tell him, Ferdinand, tell all you know, but tell only the truth. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Why? It was just before they went out. Ah, before. Did they go out together? No, sir. Mrs. Embry went later, by herself. I told you that, Eunice interposed. I gave you a detailed account of the evening. You omitted the quarrel. What was it about? It was scarcely important enough to call a quarrel. 
My husband and I frequently disagreed on trifling matters. We were both a little short-tempered, and often had altercations that were forgotten as soon as they occurred. And that's true, put in Miss Ames, for two people who loved each other to distraction, I often thought the embers were the most quarrelsome I ever saw. Shane looked sharply at the old lady. Is that so? He said. Did you hear this particular quarrel, ma'am? Not that I remember. If I did, I didn't take much notice of it. What was it about? Oh, the same old subject Mrs. Embry wanted. Aunt Abby, hush! What are you talking about? Leave me to tell my own secrets, pray. Secrets, ma'am? Jane's cold blue eyes glistened. Who's talking of secrets? Nobody, offered Hendricks. Seems to me, Shane, you're trying to frighten two nervous women into a confession. Who said anything about a confession? What's to be confessed? Who's made any accusations? Hendricks was silent. He didn't like the man Shane at all, but he saw plainly that he was a master of his craft, and dependent on his sudden and startling suggestions to rouse antagonism or fear, and so gather the facts he desired. I am asking nobody's secrets, he went on, except in so far as I am obliged to, by reason of my duty, and in that connection, ma'am, I ask you right here and now what you meant by your reference to secrets. Eunice looked at him a moment in silence. Then she said, You have, I dare say, a right to ask that, and I have not the least objection to answering. Mr. Embry was the kindest of husbands, but it did not suit his ideas to give me what is known as an allowance. This in no way reflects on his generosity, for he insisted that I should have a charge account at any shops I wished, but because of a whim I often begged that I be given a stated and periodical allowance. This, I have no reason for not admitting, was the cause of most of our so-called quarrels. This is what I should prefer to keep secret but not if it is for any reason a necessary admission. Shane looked at her in undisguised admiration. Fine, he ejaculated, somewhat cryptically. And you quarreled about this last night? Last evening, before we went out. Not after you came home? No, the subject was not then mentioned. Hmm. And you two were as friendly as ever. No coolness? Sort of left over-like? No! Eunice spoke haughtily, but the crimson flood that rose to her cheeks gave the lie to her words. Driscoll came in. I have found out what killed Mr. Embry, he said in his quiet fashion. What? cried the examiner and Shane at the same time. Can't tell you. Just yet. I'll have to go out on an errand. Stay here, all of you, till I get back. The dapper little figure disappeared through the hall door, 
and Shane turned back to the group with a grunt of satisfaction. "'That's Driscoll all over,' he said. "'Put him on a case, and he don't say much, and he don't look like he's doing anything, and then all in a minute he will bring in the goods.' "'I'll be glad to hear the cause of that death,' said Dr. Crowell, musingly. "'I'm an old, experienced practitioner, and I have never seen anything so mysterious.' There is absolutely no trace of any poison, and yet it can be nothing else. Poison's a mighty sly proposition, observed Shane. A clever poisoner can put over a big thing. Perhaps your assumption of murder is premature, said Hendricks, and he gave Shane a sharp look. Maybe, and that worthy nodded his head. But I'm still standing pat. Now, here's the proposition. Three people locked into a suite, you may say, of three rooms. No way of getting in from this side. Those locks are heavy, brass snap catches that can't be worked from outside. No way either of getting in at the windows. Tenth-story apartment, and the windows look straight down to the ground. No balconies, or anything like that. Unless an airplane let off its passengers, nobody could get in the windows. Well then, we have those three people shut up alone there all night. In the morning, one of them is dead, poisoned. What's the answer? He stared at Eunice as he talked. It was quite evident he meant to frighten her, almost to accuse her. But with her strange contradictoriness, she smiled at him. You have stated a problem, Mr. Shane, to which there can be no answer. Therefore, that is not the problem that confronts us. Fine talk, fine talk, lady, but it won't get you anywhere. To the unbiased, logical mind, the answer must be that it's the work of the other two people then yours is not a logical or unbiased mind hendricks flared out and i object to your making implications if you are making accusations do so frankly and let us know where we stand if not shut up shane merely looked at him without resenting this speech the detective appeared to be marking time as he awaited the return of his partner and Driscoll returned shortly. His manner betokened success in his quest, whatever it may have been, and yet he looked distressed too. It's a queer thing, he said, half to himself, as he fell into a chair Shane pushed toward him. Mrs. Embry, do you keep an engagement book? Why, yes, replied Eunice, amazed at the question put to her. Let me see it, please. Eunice went for it, and returning, handed the detective a finely bound volume. Hastily, he ran over the dates, looking at notes of parties, concerts, and theatres she had attended recently. At last, he gave a start, read over one entry carefully, and closed the book. Abruptly, then, he went back to Embry's room, asking Dr. Crowell to go with him. When they reappeared, it was plain to be seen. The mystery was solved.
there's no doubt said the medical examiner that sanford embry met his death by foul play the means used was the administering of poison through the ear through the ear repeated elliot as one who failed to grasp the sense of the words yes it is a most unusual almost a unique case but it is proved beyond a doubt the poison was inserted in mr embry's ear by means he paused and driscoll held up to view a small ordinary glass medicine dropper with a rubber bulb top in it still remained a portion of a colorless liquid by means of this driscoll declared this fluid is henbane that is the commercial name of it known to the profession however as hyacinus or hyacinine this little implement i found in the medicine chest in miss ames bathroom no no screamed aunt abby i never saw it before i don't think you did said driscoll quietly but here is a side light on the subject this henbane was used in this very manner we are told in shakespeare's works by hamlet's uncle when he poisoned hamlet's father he used the play says distilled hebanon supposed to be another form of the word henbane and this is what is perhaps important mrs embry's engagement book shows that about a week ago she attended the play of hamlet the suggestion there received the presence of this dropper still containing the stuff the finding of traces of henbane in the ear of the dead man seemed to lead to a conclusion the only possible conclusion is an open and shut case cried shane rising and striding to her eunice mrs embry i arrest you for the wilful murder of your husband End of chapter 9